For the second time this year, the Seattle Seahawks fall to the Los Angeles Rams in brutal fashion, albeit this loss stings in a bit of a different way than that first opening week one loss where the Seahawks got absolutely lapped at home as they only fall 17-16 to in this particular contest on the road. It was a game that really did feel like the Seahawks had this firmly in their grip throughout the course of this game, and then it just started to slide and slip away and you could just kind of feel it coming as you got to the depths of the third quarter. It's a game that played out like so many games this season have played out. Offensively, you started out hot, seemingly with a plan. Waldron was creative in his offensive attack, mixing it up, getting Geno on the move, able to get the run acclimated in so much better than we have in even some of the recent games this year, controlling the clock, controlling the time of possession, moving the chains. But then it all comes to a stop. We get into the second half, as we've seen throughout these games. Once we get to plan B, once we get to trying to counter the adjustments of the defense to your initial plan, you don't have a counter on the other side of that. You don't have a plan B or C or D or E for that matter. Instead, your offense gets completely stifled and there's nothing that can be done about it. And the offense got stifled once again on the back of those stacked defensive fronts that I've talked about so very often in these recaps. We're employed so heavily last week. We're employed so heavily against the Baltimore Ravens against us. And that's what the Rams did again today. It's not that you're bringing everybody on the stack fronts. Sometimes you'll fall back into a four-man front. It's that you're showing the quarterback stack fronts almost snap in and snap out. And you're making them have to think prior to the snap about what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. And in that second half, the offense just had no answers really for what they were doing. And then you kind of comboed that an issue with the big game-changing play here in this game that really stands out where you're bringing a blitz, which the offensive line and Geno don't see, which was a commonality throughout that second half. But then you're also led in that position. I don't know if it was because of the blitz or because this is just what the Hawks do. You leave Phil Haynes one-on-one trying to block Aaron Donald alone in pass protection. Donald gets a quick win. He's right on top of Geno Smith. He breaks Geno Smith on the play, much like he broke Russell Wilson in that final year where Russ was here and broke his finger. And how did he break it when he broke that finger? He broke it being singled up block. That game against the Rams back a couple years ago, one-on-one, can't do it, gets our quarterback broken. Do we learn from that? Do we carry that forward when we play Donald that maybe we're going to double team this guy who broke our former great quarterback, who's been the most devastating force to our offense in 10 years, who's maybe been maybe been the most devastating force in the NFL on the defensive side of the ball over those 10 years? Do we try to do anything to counter that? I'm not saying double teams are always going to work against him, but you can at least try it. And instead, nope, we're going to block it one-on-one with kind of a mid-tier guard and hope he can hold up. He couldn't hold up. Gino gets broken. And for all the folks out there that have been shouting from the top of the rooftops, it's lock time. You got your lock presentation. He came out there and many were thinking, see, he's going to show you now why Gino need to be benched. Why this is the guy. But this is why I've been saying we've got to ride with Gino. As you saw when Locke went out there, I didn't think he was going to look that bad, but he looked bad. He looked in over his head and quickly threw an interception, looked like a rookie out there rather than a guy that was ready to go take the reins. Gino standing on the sideline had a titanic iceberg size amount of ice coming off of his arm. He's sitting there trying to get it loosened out, trying to keep it okay. He finally throws the ice off, comes out there. You're thinking, man, maybe we're going to have our moment here with Gina where, you know, that after he had the comeback win last week, another one here. And indeed he got another drive up the football field. It was on the outer edges of field goal range, that last kick by Myers. They, but they did get it to within a 55 yard kick, which is all you can kind of ask your offense to do in that moment as they're taking over with no timeouts and about a little under two minutes on the clock. So nice to see Gino construct that drive as he did. It would have been get, good to get a couple of extra yards, and some may be lamenting there why they ran, they ran it there 
taking up a lot of extra time rather than trying to come up and maybe clock it, spike it, get a couple of more plays off rather than just bleeding that clock, get up a little bit closer to give Myers a little bit of a closer try. It seems that the uh, mics in the helmet, I guess, went off on that final play, according to Geno Smith. Very convenient that suddenly our mics go off in our helmet there on that final play in that way. And so Geno had to kind of freestyle the final play to make it through. Offense wasn't able to get it done at that point. But it's been troubling to watch Waldron this year come out and at times be very creative. At times find some success. But when it comes to adjustments, and this is going to be a common theme on this recap, is a lack of adjustments across the board. Not just from what this year, but things going back for years. In the case of Donald, nearly a decade. You're not finding adjustments in this coaching staff. And it's not just about sometimes your plan A. It's how you adjust to when things go wrong. And when things start to twist sideways with this team this year and twist sideways in recent years, it just goes full on that way. There's no reversing or any kind of adjustments the coaches can seem to find. And at times it doesn't always look like they're trying to dial up a hell hell of a lot of adjustments to be had within that. The defensive side of the ball, you then had the defense holding up really well to begin things. So they start out with a three and out against Matt Stafford and crew, and they get the three and out blitzing Witherspoon and gets another sack and hopefully maybe starting to more firmer take control of that defensive rookie of the year award. But he comes again and he had a fantastic game, flies off the edge, gets the sack. You get a three and out ball back to the offense. They're able to take real control of the time of possession at that point because the offense was humming. And you go, oh, we're going to bring in some blitzes over the course of a couple of drives further. You're bringing in those blitzes. You're stopping the run at the same time really well. And you're going, ooh, they're, they're actually taking a little bit of an aggression to the Rams offense. They're not sitting back in those soft zones, which were absolutely all over the place in that first matchup. That's all you ran was that soft zone coverage. You weren't blitzing a whole lot in that matchup either. And in this one, you actually said, no, let's take it to them. And then much like our offense, things just start to slide sideways once again, where you just start to go to more of those four-man fronts, more of sliding the coverages back into the soft zone, and more of giving Matt Stafford an opportunity to slay you and cut you up. It's weird how you drop all these guys into zone with the thinking that we're going to take away chunk plays, but they always end up seemingly then finding chunk plays even within these soft zone coverages. It doesn't prevent the thing you're trying to make it prevent. They have a stat they were running in this game deep into the third quarter where they literally, the, the telecast is even noticing this. It's weird to me the coaches can't. Telecast is even presenting up. Here's Matt Stafford when you don't blitz him. Here's Matt Stafford when you do blitz him. And the numbers were astonishing in the amount of difference. And we're seeing it game after game this year. You've got the personnel to do it. You're good at it when you do it. The team does it well in the games when they decide to call upon it. But then just Hurt seems to forget the fact that he can dial up a blitz or that he can take it to the offense a little bit, draws into these real conservative coverages, and then they just get beat that way. I don't know why they are so very unwilling to lean into the blitz. Even the game later on, when you brought a guy on a blitz, you got an interception later on to Tariq Woolen down the football field on one of those very same blitzes. But they ran it so infrequently. Deep into the third quarter, I think they'd shown they'd ran like five times versus all the other dropbacks that Stafford had had. And it just comes back to, again, trying to prevent the big plays deep, trying to keep everything in front of them. And that's at the heart of the philosophy here. And that's part of why I don't come out of this game with as much of a silver lining as I might normally have. Because when I look at it, I go, um, hey, uh, you're getting beat in the same way you've always been beat with this defense. When are you going to get that adjustment? Two years ago, Coach Carroll made a change of defensive coordinator for the third time in just a couple of seasons. It was a quick turnover from the last. He says, we've been arrogant in our ways. We've got to change our approach. The change of the approach was supposed to be getting a little bit away from the soft zone coverage into more of an aggressive mindset, defensively speaking. And yet, when I watch this defense and study this defense on the All-22 week after week, I don't see a whole hell of a lot of adjustments that have been made two years now, post-hence. 
It seems like you're running a lot of the same defensive concepts you've always run with some very minor little adjustments, and that's not going to be good enough to give me confidence in the future that this guy is going to be able to guide this defense, guide this team to the promised land if they're always holding it back on leaning into this strategy that he himself said two years ago no longer works. I don't quite understand it. Offensively speaking, Waldron and my confidence in him is definitely getting shaky at this point. You have too much talent on this offensive side of the ball for this team to struggle so very often. And the line has been doing better in recent weeks. And I don't understand why he is not able to get the most out of all this talent across the board. Could Gino have played a little bit better in that second half? Sure, on top of that. It was a hard when Gino Drew Locke went in there and couldn't run any of the offense from a functional standpoint too. Sure, that's not going to help Waldron but he's not doing enough to help his quarterbacks throughout the entire course of a game. Not merely for a couple drives a game, but through the course of a game, feeling his effect as a good offensive coordinator like we thought he was. And maybe he just isn't. Maybe I shouldn't put him up onto that high of a platform. I don't think it's that particularly high of a platform. It just doesn't look like he's exactly that at this point. The penalties in this game were ridiculous. And I am really over doing these recaps and looking at the final breakdowns of the penalty situation and thinking about it and going, man, once again, we're on the wrong side of the penalties in this game. And I'm not a rig guy. I'm not a, oh, they were trying to get the Rams to win this game. I'm not trying to broach into that place of things. But it gets very tough as a fan when you're watching all of these penalty flags fly. And then you get those key penalty flags flying at real key moments in the game where you've just gotten a stop or you've just caused something to flip over in a way where the flag is going to change it in a major fashion. To my point on this, you've got Puka Nuka down there late in the game. They're on a, they got a third from the third and goal from, I believe, like the, the six yard line, something like that. Puka runs a crosser to the back of the end zone. Witherspoon's in coverage. Witherspoon and Puka's legs get wrapped up with each, with each other, and it's inadvertent contact. This is to say that if, they have, if the cornerback's not getting handsy and it's just their legs happen to clip each other and then the receiver falls down, there is no pass interference on that kind of play. It's a straightforward call for officials to make. For instance, you go back to the earlier Detroit Lions game this season. We run a blitz. There's a crosser being run on Witherspoon. Witherspoon's legs tangle up with that player and it's a no call. Here on that third down, you got the same thing. It would have then meant fourth down. It would have then meant the Rams would have kicked a field goal and been down by a touchdown. Instead, you give them a first down right at the goal line, basically giving them the touchdown at that point versus the field goal that they would have had to have taken. That changed the scope and the way that this game looked and appeared going forward. And there's a couple of times in this game, in addition to all the other extra penalties that we had on top of us, and it makes it very tough to stomach as a fan. And it's one thing if I'm looking at it on one given week going, well, that just happened this week. That'll happen to you from time to time. There's a regression domain thing here. There'll balance out kind of theory going on here. It ain't balancing out a whole hell of a lot for our Seahawks team this year. We're on the wrong side of it over and over again to the point where we're just one of the most undisciplined football teams you've ever seen ever play, or perhaps maybe we're not having this, this stuff officiated in an equal fashion. It seems to be one of those others because we're going to be wide and far and away the most penalized team in the sport this year. And I'm not asking them to be the most disciplined team at this point, but it is getting a little ridiculous. And if it is the latter, that it is you're just so undisciplined, this is another thing that doesn't exactly give me a whole lot of optimism about this team going forward if they're going to play this out of control if that is going to be the case. 
Just another thing that's hard for me to find much optimism or silver linings from. And boy, did it bug the hell out of me watching this game. As I understand it, when fans bring it up now, you know, it's hard for me not to push back on that when you're seeing it go on this game. Flags every single play flying. Anytime you have anything good happen, you got to be looking for the yellow. When you get to that point as a fan, it's not good for the sport. Boy, it'd be nice if they would just let these players play. But I guess you had to have 21 odd flags total in this game called. It really threw off some of the, the, the rhythm of this game to a degree. We're going to find out soon who exactly this team is. I mentioned I don't think they're great. I'm not sure if they're good. Well, we're going to find out very soon what this team is, what they're capable, and what they can pull off here because this next four four games coming up is hellacious. And you've got three games and 15 nights. That's not going to be able to easy to overcome either. But we'll see if the Hawks can do it. And if they can do it, then everything is still attainable this season in their midst. They can go and still grab the division, for instance, but this team does look far away from a division-winning team. And right now, I'm looking at this team with the thought process of, can they be a team not just to get to a contending state this year, but what about moving into the future? Where is my confidence level? And right now, I have confidence level in this front office to be able to draft the good players. Right now, I have the confidence level that we're going to have a good enough amount of talent on the football field that's going to be ready enough to ascend to go out there and make us into contenders. Right now, I don't have a whole hell of a lot of ton of confidence when it comes to this coaching staff in the X's and O's area of playing football. The sting of a loss is never an easy one to deal with, but I find myself very much questioning in this game and fighting the urge to see the confidence drain away from me in this coaching staff to a large degree. It's not that it's gone. It's not that I'm bailing out on the team of the season as it stands right now. But I've got big questions and big worries about this team as we go into the future. Part of what this year was, was potentially a year to go through in year two of a rebuild and continue to climb, continue to grow, continue to add. Yes, it's that. But it was also an assessment, an assessment on our coaches, on our offensive defensive coordinators, on how they're calling the game, on whether or not week in and week out we're getting out coached as has been the case many times over the past couple of years. And unfortunately, so far this year, I'm very often finding myself saying, I think we're being outcoached here. And it sure isn't a very good feeling. And it sure doesn't bear out a lot of confidence for me when we go into the future into thinking that this coaching staff is going to find answers, especially when they seemingly are refusing at times to even try to adopt any new answers, but instead continuing to try the same old tune. And that tune has just been played out too often. My name is Brandon Kane. This is the Hawks Nest. Please hit the like button. Please subscribe. But beyond all that, don't you ever forget, even after a tough loss like this, go Hawks.